like for you to join me, if you would, in the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus. If it's been a while since you've been here, I'm glad to see you back in the house of the Lord. Amen. If you've been wondering when would be the best time to come back home, tonight's a great time to start. Amen. Praise God. We're going to the book of Exodus, chapter number 19. I don't know exactly how the Lord is going to end this thing tonight. I, I, uh, I feel like I've heard from God, but I'm just not 100% sure where we're going to end up tonight. So I need you to just jump on a ride with me. Can we do that? I trust y'all. You're going to hang with me tonight. We're going to the book of Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19. This is where the children of Israel have been in the wilderness for three months. They have left Egypt three months before this. And now they're in the wilderness. They come to the Mount of Sinai. The Lord is going to visit them. And he tells Moses to tell the people, get ready. Because I'm going to be coming to visit you. And I want to visit two, uh, two quick verses Verse 12 and verse 13 and verse 11, he said, you tell them to get ready. They've got three days. In verse 12, the Lord speaks to Moses and he says, Thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you go not up into the mount or touch the border of it. Whosoever touches the mount shall be surely put to death. There shall not a hand touch it, but he shall be surely stoned or shot through. Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up into the mount. I'm coming down to visit with you, but Moses, I need you. I need you to set some boundaries for the people. I want to preach to you tonight. For a few minutes from a very simple, very simple thought. But I want to give you a title for your remembrance. Look at your neighbor and tell him that's too close. You may be seated. <clears throat> this is perhaps one of the heaviest moments in the ministry in the life of Moses. When the Lord said, I'm coming down to meet with the people. But I need a voice in their life that can speak to them and tell them where the mountain begins. This is a powerful moment when you consider the idea that the Lord tells Moses, I'm coming to the mountain, but the people can't touch the mountain. Folks, this leads us to a wild, crazy question as to where a mountain actually begins. Right here in Anderson at our airport, the elevation is 918 feet above sea level. Just a few days ago, our men uh, went to Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, and there we went up uh, to Ober Gatlinburg. It's like 3,200 feet. But I really wasn't sure, other than driving up the curvy road to get to the top, 
because when we were in town in Pigeon Forge, we were a little higher in elevation than we were here. So I'm not sure if that mountain started when I passed the Clinton exit or when I passed Knoxville or when we got off the highway, the Chapman Highway. I'm not real sure where all that started. you understand what I'm saying? When they walked out of Egypt for three months and headed towards the direction of a mountain that they could see, the Lord said, that is the place that I'm going to come visit you. But Moses, I need your voice become extremely loud in the ears of your people right now and tell them there are some boundaries and you cannot touch the mountain. He said, don't let your beast touch the mountain. In Hebrews, when speaking of this very time, it said that when Moses began to speak this, that he began to shake, that he began to quake because of the power of the moment. Until the day that you have stood before the congregation of the righteous and the Lord speaks to you as the man of God and says you are setting the boundaries for the people you never really understand how Moses felt because I guess this leads to the question Lord how close is too close how far can I go before I'm actually touching the mountain how much distance do I have to put between me And the mountain for me to be sure that I'm not touching the mountain. Where should I keep my livestock? Where should I put my children to play so that just by chance they don't touch the mountain? Because the Lord said if they touch the mountain, whether man or beast, they will be shot through. We live in an age that says... If holiness is required of me, then show me chapter, line, and verse where it's necessary. And I want to tell you, as a man of God tonight, that I can be brutally honest with you and tell you that not every conviction I live in my life is because it's in black and white in the Scripture. Some convictions I have to live because it's too close to the mountain. By all means, the very finger of God that wrote the law of God could have came down and wrote a line in the earth and said, Moses, tell him, don't cross this line. But in other, in, in other words, what he did, he said, Moses, I'm going to put the weight and the pressure on you. As the man of God, I want you to lead these people in a direction to let them know there is a time in your life that if you're not careful, you may not be touching the mountain, but you are way too close. Some of the things that I do, I I get tired of answering the question in in ministry. Sometimes people will present the question to you. They'll say, so you're saying if I do that, I'll go to hell. What I'm saying is if you do that, you're going to be really, really close to the line. (laughs) In Luke, the 15th chapter, we find a man that has two sons. If you're familiar with the prodigal story, I don't have to preach the whole story to you. But there's one point that I want to extract from the prodigal. The Bible said that his sons came to him and the younger son said, I want everything that belongs to me. I want my inheritance. I'm taking it. 
now. And so the father gives him his inheritance. And the Bible said that he leaves home. And that he joined himself to a citizen of a far country. Think about this. A far country. His father had built their home in a place. That if you're going to live that kind of life, you're going to have to be very intentional about going looking for that kind of life. Because I'm not building our home and our family so close to the line that all you've got to do is step off the front porch and you're there. That boy said, Daddy, I want what's coming to me, but I'm aware that if I'm going to live like that, it's a long way from here. I'll step out on a limb right now and tell you that the world tries to tell us over the top Christians that we're sheltering our children too much. You just mark it down. The opinion of your pastor is that there's no such thing. Well, they're going to make decisions on their own someday. That's right, but not while they're in my house. I want to tell you, church, my children have never woke up on one Sunday morning and said, are we going today? My kids have never came to me on Wednesday night and said, Daddy, are we going to go to church tonight? Why do you think it's necessary, Brother St. Clair, for your children to be in church three times a week in prayer meeting? Why do you think it's necessary for them to be in youth service? Because I'm telling you, there is a world that's beckoning for their attention and that would love to destroy their ministry before it ever begins. And I refuse to build my home that close to the mountain. How close is too close? How short is too short? How much is too much? I'm just going to say to you tonight, if you've got to ask that question, you probably already know the answer. Because the reason you're asking is you feel the conviction of the Holy Ghost leading you to ask, have I gone too far already? Have I stepped across the line already? You hear this preacher when I tell you tonight, there are some lines that you'll cross that you'll never touch the mountain, but you are way too close. I understand. I'm not going to get up on a soapbox tonight. And spend my whole night preaching to people that aren't here. There's, there's, a, there's an echo that will go around the world, I'm certain. Whenever you preach things like this and it hits the internet and goes around, it's going to be preached tomorrow. Somebody will listen to it tomorrow. They'll hear the, hear the podcast this week. But I'm not going to preach to people that aren't here. So let me just preach to you tonight from the heart of the pastor of this local assembly. From the heart of the shepherd of this church. And let me tell you that if you're looking for a place that's going to take holiness and standards of separation. That we have believed all my life. And push them to the side so that we can experience growth. You are barking up the wrong tree. I don't. Oh 
my God, when the Lord returns, he is coming back for a church that is without spot or wrinkle. I don't want to be that close. said some time ago and I'm, again I'm not harping on the soapbox I'm just telling you they said some time ago they said you know you are the minority in Pentecost that don't go to the movie house I said then I guess I'm the minority but my next statement was I don't believe you you're saying that because you want to feel justified but I feel like the prophet Elijah When he got to feeling like nobody else was believing it, the Lord said, I've got prophets put away in caves that you didn't even know were there that have never bowed a knee. I'm telling you right now that this apostolic movement is not as weak as the devil wants you to believe it is. There are still people outside the four walls of this church that love righteousness and holiness and separation. They love holiness. I understand that we are saved by grace through faith. And not by works lest any man should boast. Am I still in the book? But this is where people get whacked out in their idea. They say we are not saved by works. You're absolutely right. We are saved by grace. But that's where I'm born again. That has nothing to do with my new life. Grace saves me. Works keep me saved. Because there are some things if I'm not careful and I start doing those old works, I may not do what I used to do, but if I get close enough to it for long enough, that's why there is absolutely no room in the apostolic church for social drinking. Because if you used to drink and now you social drink, you'll be an alcoholic again. <laughs> Moses, you tell the people. If they cross the line, they're going to die. Now, folks, there's something I want you to take note of. He said, even the livestock of that family fall on the shoulders of the man of the house. It was up to Moses to tell them where the line was. It was up to the leadership of the home. To be certain that it was clearly communicated within the four walls of their house. That we're not just doing this because Pastor Moses said not to do this. We are doing this because it's the heart of God. And God said, don't go there. 
If the best answer you can give your children when you tell them we don't go there, we don't wear that, we don't act like that, we don't do that. If the best answer you can give them is that's what our church believes. You have already missed the mark. The Lord said, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. I can't do what they do. Go where they go. Talk like they talk. Wear what they wear and be out from them. It creates confusion in the minds of your children that are dwelling in your tent. When you say things to them like, well, Moses feels like the line should be here, but my personal opinion. I feel like he's a little strong on that. Until it's your baby that accidentally trips. And your house was so close to the line that now you're grieving something That you should have never had to grieve. And God is having to fix something that should have never been broken. I believe that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. There is nothing wrong with being holy and being separated to stay far enough away. in a conversation with one of my friends the other day understand me please understand me tonight I'm not here to build a castle for anybody or tear anybody else's house down no, sir. somebody said to me they said brother you're, you're kind of like you're kind of conservative aren't you and I said no I'm really not I am what we've always been Now, I might be conservative by the standards of the world. But I am not conservative by the standards of the book of the word of God. But I tell you what, I'm also not. I'm not willing to take risks with my family and with my children and with this church family. When God has placed me on the wall of this church and said make it crystal clear that there is a mountain here and if you touch the mountain, you're going to be lost. (laughs) I want you to lift your hands to the Lord right now. We need the Holy Ghost to help us in this house tonight. Hallelujah. When you pick up the platform handbook of this church and the first thing in your mind is, I have to do that to be in the choir? You've already missed it. Because we don't live separated so that we can have the privilege of being on the platform. We live separated so that we can have the privilege of going to heaven. 
I just don't want my kids, Pastor, to feel left out. I don't want my kids to be the only one in the class that doesn't dress that way. I don't want my kids to be the only one in the school that doesn't act like that. Before we start griping about your poor, sweet little children that I love very dearly, I want to tell you that there were three boys in Babylon that when everybody else was bowing down, those three boys kept on standing. Let me tell you right now, it was those three boys that stood to their feet that caused the power of God to be on display in a kingdom full of idols and idolatry. If you want God to stand up and show off and show out, then we've got to stand up. I don't want my kids to go through a fiery furnace. Well, they won't go by themselves. There was a fourth man in the fire. The fourth man is only revealed in adversity. The fourth man is revealed when you'll stand up and you could have sat down. Hallelujah. You can be seated. On July the 29th, 1588, the Spanish Armada sailed into the English Channel with the goal of turning Great Britain into a Spanish colony. Spain was the world's greatest naval power at the time. Their armada of 130 ships had been given the nickname the Invincible Fleet. The English were outnumbered. They were outgunned. But they unveiled a new tactic of naval combat that changed the rules of engagement forever. The Spanish Armada and their 130 ships were known to pull in to a channel or to a cove or to a docking area. They would pull up next to the ships of the the navy that they were trying to destroy and the nation that they were going to take over. And they would pull their ships up and surround the smaller navy and army. And they would step off of their ship and by outnumbering them in hand-to-hand combat, they would take over an entire nation because the harbor was guarded by people that were willing to let them get that close. But the Spanish army made up in their mind that day that instead of boarding the enemy's vessel and engaging in hand-to-hand combat with them, they said, before they ever get here, we are preparing ourselves cannons. And the Spaniards, they used long-range cannons to sink half of the Spanish fleet without losing a single ship of their own. The Spanish decided that they would engage their enemy from a distance. They were so afraid to allow the enemy to get that close to them because they knew that the enemy 
would outpower them and overtake them. And so the way that they begin to operate is that we'll fight from here and protect what belongs to us. If we can keep the enemy in the bay, they'll never set their foot on land. If you'll keep the enemy out of your house, he'll never walk into your family. Can I preach to you? I'm going to anyhow. Church family, listen to me. It does no good to get down on your knees in your house and bind satanic spirits of fornication, adultery, and homosexuality. And then turn on your television and laugh at it and think it's cute. You know what you're doing? You're engaging in hand-to-hand combat with what you just tried to cast out of your house. And you cannot cast out what you embrace. It is literally impossible to sit in front of a television or a phone and take pleasure in adulterous affairs that are happening in soap operas and then when your husband or wife starts acting goofy you say oh God don't let that spirit in my marriage don't let that spirit in my house God didn't let that in we opened up the gates and let it walk right in we pray against witchcraft and then set our kids in front of Harry Potter I had an old elder tell me one day, he was like, isn't that so cute? He had, a, he had a Harry Potter thing at his house. He said, that is the cutest show. I didn't disrespect the man, but I couldn't agree with him. I'm not going to stand in this pulpit and lay my hide in this floor right here and call on the name of the Lord for hours, walking up and down the aisles of this church. Laying hands on every pew in this church and commanding the enemy to get his hand off of your family and off of your life and off of your children and then go to my house and say, it's okay, everything that I just prayed against, I can laugh it off in my house. Some time ago, I was preaching in this vein. I began to tell this church about a gentleman. His name is Ramirez. John Ramirez spent his entire life in the satanic church. At nine years old, he sold his soul to Satan. Gave his entire life to the church of Satan. He was involved in witchcraft and astral projection. He began to talk about it. He said, we loved people in areas that we were trying to take over entire regions. He said, we loved it. We would find the people that had open portals in their home. He said, the easiest portals to take over were people 
that sat in front of their TVs and their computers for hours. And he said it just opened up a portal for us to just walk right in and take whatever we wanted to take in the spirit world. He said, I know you think it's cute for your kids to put on a little outfit and go get candy. He said, but what you don't understand about Halloween, and he looked into that camera, he said, I got married on Halloween day so that we could have a demonic and evil wedding. He said, I was married on Halloween because I loved demonic powers. And he said, what you don't understand, it it does not matter if your kids dress up like Moses and Abraham and you say that it's harmless. It obfuscates the image that God created them in. He said, and the rest of that that you don't know about and you say it's just candy. He said, there are witches and warlocks and satanic priests and priestesses. Every October that start praying over candy and saying wherever this candy goes, we want to get our grip. It's quiet up in here right now on a Sunday night. Pastor, I like it better when you preach on miracles. I am. This right here will open up more miracles in your life than you can ever imagine. telling you church there's a reason why your pastor stands in this pulpit every year and declares that there are some holidays it don't matter if it's on the American calendar or not we're not going to take part in it and I want to tell you why it's too close you hear this oh God You hear this preacher when I tell you tonight, I'm not preaching to you about something that I don't know. I'm not preaching to you about something that I haven't had to entertain. I'm not preaching to you about something that I haven't had to combat on my own. You have been here and you have seen it and you have stood by your pastor when they've tried to do it. We have been in this church in services in our prayer room when witches and warlocks have tried to move into this church and have their way. But they got here to find out there are no openings in this house. There is no vacancy in this house. And I'm declaring in the name of Jesus if they think they're going to start finding them now, they're barking up the wrong tree. We are the children of God and we will not play their game. I want to tell you something, church. Listen, I'm not, I'm, I'm not preaching to be hard. You, un, you understand that. But you listen to me. You are not going to outsmart the devil. That sucker's been around since before there was a man. You don't think he knows every trick in the book? Anton LaVey, who was the founder and head of the satanic church, he said, I love Halloween. And I think, I'm thankful. He said, I thank Lucifer, whatever, however you say that. He said, we are thankful for Christians that celebrate Halloween. He said, because every Christian becomes satanic at least one day a year. Your pastor didn't preach that. That was Anton LaVey. You hear what I'm telling you tonight? It's too close. Wait till you wake up in the middle of the night 
And you hear your children screaming down the hallway because of spirits that you let in. Well, I'll, I'll walk down there and take authority over. Uh huh. You ain't got power in your own house, Eve. Because you've been having conversations that should have never happened. Lord, have mercy. You could do backflips. It's so tight in here on this trampoline tonight. What if my spouse don't serve the Lord? Good. First Corinthians chapter 7, you're all right. If you've been washed in the blood, baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, your house is sanctified. Read it. First Corinthians chapter 7, go read it. Your house is sanctified. It's covered in the blood. You keep on covering the blood. And you keep on walking through that house when your spouse is not looking. And you keep on putting oil in that house and praying the prayer of faith. And declaring, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we're going to walk in truth. As for me and my house. I don't know, Pastor, I'm afraid. Then get you a prayer cloth and take it home and stick it between the mattress. And declare, as for me and my house. Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27 is something we got to come to grips with, church. This is not FPC preaching, this is Ephesians preaching. Don't give place to him. You know what that means? Don't give him a foothold. When he knocks, don't answer the door. Don't, 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 don't even entertain him. Don't even, don't even give him room. Don't let him get his foot in the door. My mama used to tell me, my mamma used to tell me, when I was a boy, son, if you ever give him an inch, come on, preach at me now. If you give him an inch, he'll take a mile. Oh, Jesus. When I'm going through stuff, I'm a full-grown man. Got a family. Pastor in this church, and when I'm going through something goofy, I'll hear my memo. Just like just like yesterday, I'll hear that little old voice, baby. He'll strike you out on a high pitch, quick as you will a low pitch. He ain't picky. He'll get it if he's got to dress it up in religion. He'll get it if he's got to make it look holy. But at some point in your life, you got to stand up and declare, I'm not giving him place. I'm not even going to let him put his foot inside the door of my house. Pastor, is that necessary to be saved? It's necessary for me to be saved because it's too close. Listen, the Bible does not say that you have to hate God to be lost. It says if you love the world... Or the things that are in the world that the love of the Father is not in you. Man, that's awful strong. I'm sorry, that's not pastor. It's in the book. Don't let him get close. I want you to look at that Ephesians 4 and 27. Let's go to verse 28 real quick. He said, don't give place to the devil. And let him that stole... Still no more. 
Rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Watch this. He said, don't give place to the devil. And what you used to do, stop doing it. Can I sound like an old man here for just a second? When I was a boy and you got the Holy Ghost, you just quit sinning. You've been around Brother Gray. You know what I'm talking about. When I was a kid, man, people come up and get the Holy Ghost. They'd shake all over. They'd get, boy, they'd go home, and they'd get in their stash. They'd clear, they'd clear out an entire alcoholic cabinet. They never even counted the cost. They'd go home and throw $3,000 worth of liquor in the trash can, dump it out down the toilet. Why? Because they got the Holy Ghost. We didn't just throw them in the water so we could add another number to the ledger of how many got baptized. We believed that if you went down in the water, you were making a covenant with Jesus. That his blood was washing away your sin and you were finished sinning. But we're in such a hurry to throw people in the water so that we can get on Facebook and say one more baptized tonight. I'm not nearly as concerned about one more being baptized as I am one more quitting sinning and walking away from the powers of darkness and giving place to the devil. I'm telling you right now, the devil would love for you to be baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, and die lost. Y'all can be seated. reading earlier this week and I came across something that I had never really thought of. I guess I've seen it happen but I didn't know it was an official thing. It's a man by the name of Jonathan Glover who did a documentary on 20th century warfare and he said there is a such thing in warfare and this is, a very, this is very important It's a thing that they call sympathy breakthroughs. Okay? I've never heard it in that term. A sympathy breakthrough. He said even in the context of war, there are acts of compassion that supersede the conflict. He said most sympathy breakthroughs are triggered, listen to this, By eye-to-eye contact during hand-to-hand combat. Think about it. They are so close to their enemy that they begin to have sympathy on what they came to destroy. He said they have a sympathy breakthrough. And what they were supposed to be getting rid of They look them in the eye and say, man, I can't do that. I feel too bad about that. I've already looked in their eye and got sympathy. Now, that would help us on the other side of that, too. Some of us could have a little more sympathy on folks. But you understand me when I tell you that if I've got a choice to stand back here and keep the powers of darkness off of me, 
or to move my family up so close to the enemy that I'm engaged hand to hand with them and my children look that enemy in the eye and say, oh, daddy, that's not that bad. We're not careful. We're going to raise a generation of sympathetic people that are not sympathetic to the soul, but they're sympathetic to sin. Do you know why every Hollywood producer pushes the agenda of homosexuality? Because they want your kids to believe it's the new normal. Oh, my Lord. The book of Romans. Can y'all go there with me tonight real quick? The book of Romans. Chapter 1. I need y'all to help me tonight. In the book of Romans, chapter 1. Let's just go uh, to verse 24 for the sake of time. Who changed the truth of God into a lie? Worshipped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Verse 25, forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up to vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to those things which were not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Now I'm going to let you all preach the end of this. Not only... Do the same. But have pleasure in them. This is not Pentecostal rhetoric. (laughs) I've said it a thousand times. If Paul walked into our churches and wanted to preach, we'd kick him out. We don't want that kind of preaching. Paul said all these people said all this stuff they're doing. He said they're going to have their reward. But so are the people that love what they're doing. And take pleasure in what you're doing. You know why? Because you're going to end up with a sympathetic breakthrough. I'm preaching to you from the book tonight. You're going to get close enough to that world that someday your kids are going to look at you and say, Daddy... I know what pastor preached, but why don't we do that? I know what Brother Wendell told us to do in youth service. But why are we allowed to do that when they're not looking? My 
Church family, Achan didn't fall in love with Babylon. He just had a Babylonian garment in his tent. And he didn't fall in love with riches. He just had a wedge of gold hidden, buried in his tent. And because of that, oh God, the entire kingdom was affected. And at the end of the day, he had to stand there with his children and his wife with blood trickling down their head from the stoning, looking up at their dad and saying, Daddy, why is this happening? And Daddy had to look at those kids with the blood of a stone running down their eye and saying the reason why you're having to go through this, son, is because Daddy refused to take a stand. And I let a little bit of Babylon in our home. And I let just a little bit of that gold in our home. Son, the reason our family is in the shape it's in is because your Daddy would not stand. And that's too close. Somebody say Babylonian-ish. Ish, kind of like pertaining to, has the flavor of it. Like the Moabite-ish woman. She wasn't Moabite, she was just Moabite-ish, like she had some in her blood. You know what I'm scared to death of? I'm scared of the next generation being apostolic-ish. We are one generation away from extinction. And that is too close. Saul utterly destroy the Amalekites. Okay, God. He goes into the camp of the Amalekites. I'm going to stay in the book right here. He said, I'm going to keep all the finest gold. All the silver. And I'm going to keep the king. I'm going to let Agag live. But what Saul did not think about as a king. Is that the only thing kings know how to do is rule. And he took Agag and brought him into a prison. And held on to him. You listen to this preacher when I tell you tonight. That you can take Agag and put him in solitary confinement if you want to. But he'll always find an ear. And if he finds an ear long enough, the only thing he knows how to do is build a kingdom. And when Samuel came to him, the prophet of the Lord, he said, Saul? Is that Agag? What is all this gold and silver? He said, oh, sorry about that, prophet. Let me explain myself. This is the part I reserve to give to the Lord. I want you to listen to the delusion as it moves in. God said, destroy it. But he said, I'm going to keep it as an offering to the Lord. Do you understand that what you will not destroy will eventually become a symbol of your worship? How in the world are you going to offer to God what God said to destroy? It is too close. If 
you let him live, it won't be long till he'll start working that prison because he knows how to be slick. And he'll come walking out and he'll find one of your mighty men and say, hey, you know who I am, don't you? You know I led an army bigger than this army? You know what I could do with you if you would join forces with me? And before you know it, that whole thing is going to shift around. So what happens? And I'm fixing to walk in the Holy Ghost right here. I've never preached this in this church. The Lord gave me this about two or three years ago. I preached it one time at a camp meeting. And the Lord quickened me tonight about this in this church. Samuel, the prophet of the Lord, Brother Hensel, walks up to Saul and he said, give me your sword. And the prophet of the Lord takes the sword of Saul and goes to Agag and takes his life. It's a sad day in paradise when the man of God has to stop prophesying because he has to carry your sword that you weren't willing to carry. How often is the prophet of the Lord going to have to walk into your house and say, give me that sword. We're going to sit here with your family and we're going to talk about this. Now he's ran off with another woman. But y'all kept reading that stuff. Kept watching that stuff. Now I'm going to go with you and fight. You remember Eutychus sitting in the window? Somebody say the window. Apostolic ministry going on. And Eutychus, Brother Jordan's in the window. He wasn't in, he wasn't out. Just close. (laughs) Close. He was too close to the church to really be worldly, but too close to the world to be churchy. But when the preaching got a little strong and lasted a little bit too late, Eutychus fell out. Somebody say out. Because Eutychus never falls in. Window dwellers never fall in. They always fall out. And the apostle has to stop preaching. Apostolic ministry ceases right then. It stops. And he goes downstairs. He walks out to the street. And he lays across a lifeless boy that the only thing he had to do was get in the church. And he has to resurrect a boy that should have never been dead. You ever wondered what would have happened in that short season of apostolic ministry when Paul had to quit preaching? To fix what shouldn't have been broken? I know it's awful quiet in here right now, but it's really not tight. I I felt the breakthrough just a few minutes ago. I feel it in the house right now. I feel freedom in the Holy Ghost. I came across a story probably a year or two ago, and I'm going to share it as close as I can remember it. But it was on my mind today. I I couldn't get rest. I couldn't get relief from it. It's been on my mind all day today. There was a man that was a captain of a ferry boat that went across the river 
been doing the job for a long time. He loved what he did. That was his vessel. One day, this gentleman that he knew came walking onto the boat. And he said to the, to the captain, he said, look, he said, I have a small amount of drugs that I need to get moved across the river, and I can't, I can't get it there. He said, all I need you to do is let me bring the drugs on the vessel, hide them away, and when the, when the ferry gets to the other side, my man knows where to go and where to find the drugs. He said, you don't have to know anything about it. All I'm saying is, I just need to know if I put them on here, you're going to let them ride. He said, man, get out of here. I love my job too much. I would never do that. He said, would $5,000 make you do it? He said, you're crazy. Get out of here. And he just keeps on climbing. What about $20,000? What about $50,000? So obviously it wasn't a real small amount of drugs. And finally, he says to this man, if I recall correctly, he said, listen, for $200,000, all I'm asking you to do is turn your head. And they said that captain reached behind his back. And he pulled out a, I believe it was a 357 Magnum, a big gun. And he told that man, he said, get off my boat. He said, man, I'm sorry, what in the world happened to you? He said, you are getting way too close to my price. Get off my boat. You write this down. I'm standing here in the power of the Holy Ghost and I feel it all over me right now. I don't care how spiritual you are. You have a price. And if you hang out close enough to that price long enough, it'll sound good enough that you'll take it. You don't love doctrine that much that if it didn't come along at the right price, you wouldn't sell out. But somebody tonight... Is going to have to be like the captain of that vessel. And say I'm going to have to put some distance between me and the offer. Are you hearing what I'm saying tonight in the Holy Ghost? It's time to put some distance between me and the offer. Oh God I feel him here. Jesus said thou hast heard it said. That if a man commits adultery with a woman he is to be stoned. But I say unto you that if a man looketh on a woman and lusteth after her in his heart, he's already committed adultery. Jesus was not saying that he should be stoned because he committed adultery. Jesus was saying, you had better put some distance between you and the adultery. If you never look, you'll never commit the adultery. He said, you've got to get some distance between you and the offer. I don't know how close you are to your price tonight. But if you've been negotiating at all, it's too close. We need We need the power of the Holy Ghost right now to move across this room. Somebody needs to put some distance between you and the offer tonight. Thank you, young people.
if you'll just stay home, you'll never have to come to yourself in a pig pen. Don't think you've got to leave the house of God to get a testimony. Some of you just need to stay at the house. Stay at your father's house. Stay in the church. Love truth. Keep on fighting the good fight of faith. There's no need to recover and be healed when you can just be free tonight and stay in the safety of the house of the Lord. Come on, we don't need any heroes that'll see how close they can get to the edge without falling. We need some people that'll stake their claim in the truth. And say, I refuse to even walk that road. I'm not even going to walk in the direction of that. If the Holy Ghost tells me to get rid of Agag, I'm getting rid of Agag. I'm not going to have a sympathetic breakthrough with sin. I'm not going hand-to-hand compact with the devil. I'm going to stay and fight this thing from a distance. Because it's way too close. It's too risky. I'm not going to get that close. 